You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. I'll go ahead and grab a seat. How you doing, church? Yes, man, it's good to be back with you. It's good to be in person. And man, good to be in worship and see some some new faces this morning, some faces we haven't seen in a while. It's going to be good stuff. Hey, if you have your Bible, you're going to need it. Turn to the book of 1 John. We're starting a new series. As you know, last year we finished uh, our series called The Book, where we went through every book of the Bible. And then we had uh, a Back to the Basics series, then some Christmas season sermons. And now we're going to be in the book of 1 John uh, for quite a while and looking forward to it. Again, 1 John, I should probably turn there too. Um, and if you're new here, you should know you, we dig into scripture at Southcrest. And so uh, I want to encourage you to bring your Bible or if you ha- have it on your phone, that's great too. Also, uh, in the back of the chair back in front of you, unless you're on the very first row, um, there is a black Bible. And that if you don't have a Bible, that is yours to keep. You can write your name in, do whatever you want. That is yours. We'd love for you to have that. Again, the book of First John. I'm going to uh, get started with a word of prayer and then we're going to dive into uh, what God has for us this morning. God, we're grateful just to, to be together, to, to sing and to remember gospel truth. And Lord, to just to be together, to remember that we're not alone in this journey called life. We're not alone as we follow after you, God, and, and seek to find our greatest pleasure and purpose in you. God, I pray that we would be encouraged this morning, that we would be uh, challenged from your word, that we would be comforted and that you would uh, and call us out where we need to be called out, but you would also equip us and just do whatever you would like to do in our lives this morning, God. And, and like David prayed a second ago, help us to recognize that this is your holy, perfect, inspired word and that you're gonna speak to us through it this morning, God, and that your spirit is here working in and through us this morning as well. And so God, we offer up our hearts, our minds to you. I'm gonna ask you with your head bowed and, and eyes still closed, just to, to take a moment to pray and ask God to speak to you that he would do anything in you that he needs to do in order to do everything through you that he wants to do. And if you don't know him this morning, I'm gonna ask you to, to be brave and just say, God, if you're real, would you, would you speak to me this morning? God, we love you. And again, we're just grateful for the gift of the body of Christ and the gift of your word and ask that you would speak to us uh, as we submit to the authority of your word, the power of your spirit. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask these things. Amen. So uh, does anyone know why this book is called 1 John? It's interactive. You can, you can respond. It's okay. We're off to a great start in 22. I can feel it. This is really good. Who, okay. I'll give you a hint. It has to do with who wrote the book. Uh, ah, yeah, John the Apostle, right? Why is it called First John? Oh, so it's not because he's like, I'm number one. What's up, y'all? Number, first John, that's me. No, that's, of course not. Yeah, it's right. It's the first of these three epistles, right? First, second, and third John. Now, this is the same John that wrote the Gospel of John, which if you've not read the Gospel of John, you should totally read it. And also he wrote uh, Revelation, which just, just for like 
Man, because the pet peeve, it's not revelations, right? It's revelation. There's no S on it. Just, just trying to help you out, okay? Help you out when you're talking about the Bible. Um, John, the apostle, he literally walked with Jesus. How cool is that? Literally walked with him. And more than that, so he was one of the disciples, but he was, uh, don't let this make you think poorly of, of Christ. Like he was, he was kind of the inner circle, if you will. So Jesus, while he spent time with the masses, he loved everyone. He also devoted a lot of time to the 12, right? Yeah, that's where we kind of get our idea of, of one-on-one discipleship. Out of those 12, 11 made it, right? Judas didn't turn out so hot. 11 made it and three we're still really talking about, right? Peter, James, and John. There you go. Yeah, John. So he, because he was one of kind of the, that inner three who really got to spend a lot of time with Jesus, he was there at the transfiguration when it saw Christ in his glory. He got to be there on some of the special things. There were a few times that Jesus would call just those three to go with him. Or another example of, of him kind of having inner insight into what was happening in the life of Christ was he got to be there. At the, he was close to Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was praying with such agony as he saw the cross before him that he literally sweat drops of blood. So John walked incredibly closely with Jesus and ha- it has a unique perspective on, on Christ and really what it means to follow Jesus. When we think about the Bible and, and reading it and studying it, I think a question that a lot of us we, we wouldn't really say, especially in church, but we often think it, and certainly you may feel it sometimes, is why. Uh, what, what I mean more specifically is we, I think we often in our gut would we feel like, why do we study this and read this? And before you like, feel too spiritual, like, like, I don't ever struggle with that. How many times have you sat down to, to read your Bible at your house for a devotion? If you've never done that, then, then like, you can't judge people for asking why because you're not even reading the Bible, okay? <laughs> but like, how many times have you been sat down to read the Bible and oh, you're like, I know I should do this, but you kind of struggle with why. You lack motivation. I felt that before. You don't have to raise your hand, but I, I know I'm not alone in that. I've talked to too many of you to know that I'm not alone in that. Or sometimes we come to church and I think uh, a feeling in our gut can be kind of like, man, wouldn't it be fun just to like sing some and hear some stories and move on? I think sometimes... We're reluctant in our flesh to study the word of God. We kind of have this, why is it so important? Well, here's the cool thing. Probably the most satisfying answer to why should I read the Bible is to have an understanding of why it was written. An understanding of why God, through the Holy Spirit, gave John this letter to write. Why he gave it for the church to have for forever for us to study and learn. Why did he actually write it? And that's really what we're going to be unpacking kind of as this is our kickoff for this series is John gives us pretty explicitly why he wrote this letter. So we don't have to make some stuff up. We don't have to guess or like go way back in history and do all this archaeological research, which would be really cool. All we really need to do is read the text. Isn't that awesome? So if you would join with me in 1 John chapter 1. Why did he even write this? What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed 
And we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that, so, so that is always a key of, okay, so here's a why, right? Because so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. All right, so before I give you this first point here, kind of want to unpack it. I'm going to hold off on unpacking verse, verses one and two for just a second. But if you, you kind of, as we read through that, you can feel it building. He's saying in verse three, what we've seen, what we've heard, we also declare. So he's saying, we're going to declare Jesus to you. I'll unpack that again in a second, but we're going to declare Jesus to you. We're going to declare the gospel, what it means to follow Christ to you, what, what really flows, follows in this whole epistle, this whole letter. We're going to declare it to you so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So he's saying, we've written, I've written this to you. I've declared the gospel to you. Why? So that you can have Fellowship with God. You know what he's saying? First thing I want you to see this morning is that God longs to bring you into his family. He longs to bring you into his family. This is about, fellowship is about community, about relationship. I know as good Baptists, we think of fellowship and we're like, all right, we got some fried chicken, right? We got some sweet tea and we're going to hang out and talk. And like, I'm all for that. Amen? Like, that, that, that's a good thing. But fellowship is, if, that, if that's, our only view of fellowship, we're, we're, we're missing out. Fellowship is about deep, intimate community relationship. It's a binding together. And, and John said, I, I've de I'm declaring the gospel to you. I've declared this to you, pointing you to Jesus so you can have fellowship with us. And he says, so it's not just like us as other believers. He says, more importantly, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So he's saying, I want you to believe in the gospel so you can have a relationship with God. He, he, he wants to bring you into, God wants to bring you into his family. So, so notice like, while salvation is very much about forgiveness, salvation is very much about finding a, a purpose, God giving you purpose. I think here what John's pointing out and how cool to think about the fact that John walks so closely with Jesus in that intimate relationship had kind of a, almost like a, a privileged position getting to walk so closely with Jesus. And he's saying, hey, when you believe in the gospel, you come into that same kind of fellowship. Isn't that cool? Friends, I, I don't know what your story is this morning, but if you feel alone and distant from God and broken, no relationship with him, know that his desire, his longing is to bring you into the family of God. Perhaps the greatest picture or, or explanation of, of the posture of God is actually, is the cross. See, the, the posture of God toward lost, broken sinners is not a stiff arm, ain't got time for that. No, the posture of God toward lost, broken sinners is open arms, amen? And here's what's cool. When Jesus was on the cross with arms wide open to, to offer salvation, he didn't occasionally take an arm that was nailed to the cross. He didn't take that arm off and go, 
Yeah, but not her. She's weird, man. Like, not her type. And then, oh, and man, for sure not them. Talk about a, a mess of a family. No, nah, they're not getting in. Nope. No, he didn't pull his arm off and say, man, that guy has sinned way too much. So what I'm doing here, not really for him. He didn't do that, did he? No, salvation is for all who would call on the name of the Lord. His arms are open. He longs to bring you into his family. And I love what the scripture says, his arm is not too short to save. So you may feel like, well, man, I'm just too far gone. I'm in too far of a hole. There's no way God could reach down and bring me into his family. And scripture says, his arm is not too short to save. So there's no pit that you're in that God can't reach down into and bring you into his family. His desire is for you to have a relationship with him. So, if you do not know Christ this morning, man, we have good news for you. Amen, church family? God wants to bring you into his family. He wants to reconcile that, that broken relationship. He wants you to know his grace, his mercy, his love, his forgiveness. If you'll simply come to him, place your faith and trust in him. You can do that this morning. You don't have to wait till the end of the sermon when there's music going and there's people down, down here. You can right now, stop what you're doing, tune me out and say, Jesus, I, I surrender to you. I, I, would you forgive me? I believe in your finished work on the cross. I wanna trust you to be the Lord of my life. Would you save me? Something like that. And he will save you right here, right now. And we'll celebrate with you. And, and here's the cool thing. If you are already a believer, man, what a cool encouragement and reminder this morning that, that God has declared the gospel, the good news of Jesus to us so, so we can have relationship with him. He wants intimate fellowship, communion, relationship. Part of his family. Now, what was all that going on in, in verses one through two? If you would go back up there with me. Verse one, it says, what was from the beginning what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed and we have seen it. And we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. But I think the first question we've got to answer here as we look at this is, what is, what is the what? <laughs> what the what, right? What is the what that he's referring to? So whatever this what is, he says, it was from the beginning. It, it's, it's existed forever. But he says, we've also, we've heard this, whatever it is, we've heard it, we've seen it, we've touched it. He's not saying you and I have. John's saying that he and some of his buddies, for an informal word, have. That they've, what was from the beginning, they've seen, they've heard, they've touched. So question, what has existed forever, is eternal, but has been able to be touched by human hands and seen by human eyes. It's not what, it's who. And who is it? Yes, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. Well, why didn't he just say Jesus? Because he's emphasizing who Jesus is. That Jesus is the eternal one, that Jesus is divine, that he is from the beginning. And then in verse two, uh, towards the end of verse two, he says that in Christ is eternal life. So it's kind of the same idea, same phrase that he's divine. He is holy. He's not like us, even though he came in the flesh, he's God himself. It makes me think of, of what 
John also said in the gospel of John, in John 1, he says that talking about Christ, the word of life, he says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yes, in Christ is life. Hebrews 1 says that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. So when you look at Jesus, you see God says that Jesus is the one who uh, sustains the universe by the word of his power. So even when he was on the cross, Jesus was holding the universe together. That's some power, right? Yeah, he looks weak and broken on the cross, but at the same time, simultaneously, he's holding the universe together. (laughs) Jesus is the supreme one. Colossians 1 says that all things were made through Jesus and for Jesus. It says he is the head of the church, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. So meaning Jesus is the supreme king. So that is the Jesus that John's saying him and his buddies, these other people that got to walk with Jesus, they have seen, they have heard, they have touched. It is that Jesus, God himself. It's pretty cool, huh? It's pretty cool. Think about what he's saying when he says, we've heard, we've we've seen with our eyes, we've observed, we've touched with our hands. And of course, we've declared it to you. And I said, we've declared it, it's real. What John's saying is, he said, I I, I was there. I, I heard Jesus when he told the wind and the waves to be quiet. And just like that, fell silent saying, I, I was there. I heard Jesus when he told, told Lazarus to come out of that grave. And we were like, Jesus, it's going to smell bad. And he was like, Psh, come on out of that grave, right? Said, I was there. I heard it. He says, I, I, I was there. I, I saw Jesus when he walked on water. We were out in the boat and we thought it was a ghost. We don't even believe ghosts, but it's a ghost. That was Jesus walking on water. We saw it with our own eyes. He would say, I saw Jesus time after time heal the lame. The people that that couldn't walk, he healed them. People that couldn't see, he he put mud on their eyes and they could see. He he helped the people who were demon-possessed. He cast the demons out. I saw it with my own eyes. He would say, I saw with my own eyes when Jesus was strapped and tied to that post and beaten over and over again into a bloody pulp. He said, I I was there. I I saw Jesus when he was hanging on that tree and they had smashed a crown of thorns into his skull and blood flowed all the way from his head down his beard and across the lacerations on his body and across his nail-scarred hands and down and dripped the blood, dripped down off his nail pierced feet fell to the earth below. He would say, I saw that. But he would say, (laughs) but then three days later, when Jesus rose again and appeared to us, I got to touch his nail scarred hands. He would say, I, 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 I touched him. He, he's real. He really rose again. We, we sat together around the fire and we, we had breakfast and Jesus and I, we passed the, passed the little basket of fish and the, the basket of bread and we ate breakfast together. 
You know what John is saying through all this by saying what we saw, what we touched, what we heard? You know what he's saying? The second point we got to see today. Your faith is more than a feeling. Your faith is not just some conjured up idea that we talk about to make us feel good. It's not just this abstract thing. We come together and we all feel, feel, we all feel lighter and more joyful when we come together. He says, no, your faith in Jesus Christ is real. Your faith is not just a feeling. It's founded on God himself who came in the flesh. Feelings are fickle, aren't they? He said, if you've trusted in Christ, your faith rests on something more sure than the sun's rising and more rock solid than the rocky mountains. Your faith is more than a feeling. So it means that you can trust that it's real, it's historical, it's grounded. It's concrete, but also he's saying, regardless of what you feel right now, he's saying, why I wrote this? Because I want you to know, whatever you're feeling, hold fast to the fact that the gospel is true. What we've declared, Jesus Christ, we've pointed you to him. It is true. It is real. So whatever you may be feeling right now, (laughs) that does not determine your faith is real. He's saying, keep pursuing Christ. Keep clinging to him. Keep chasing after him, knowing he's real and he's good and he's faithful, even when you don't feel it. You know, if, we, if we base our walk with Jesus based on how we feel, we're going to be on the roller coaster all the time. It's not about how you feel. Feelings come and go, right? (laughs) Faith in Jesus is rock solid. Now, this next thing we're going to see in the text, I think may be um, a little surprising to us because I think we don't normally think of God this way. But but check this out, verse 4. We are writing these things, and I really do believe he's looking forward to the, to the letter, the, the whole epistle. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Maria, one more time. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Here's the third thing we're going to see today. We're going to unpack it just a little bit. God cares about your joy. Why, why did John, why did God have John write First John? Because God cares about your joy. He says, we're writing it so that your joy, our joy may be complete. First recognize joy is different than happiness, right? Happiness is this circumstantial emotion often that comes and goes. Joy is deep abiding happiness in God, right? It's deeper. It's rooted. He says, I'm writing this to you so your, our joy may be complete. Why does he say our joy? Because again, Christians are in fellowship together. We're in community and relationship together. So he's saying, I'm writing this so you can have joy and your greatest pleasure in Christ. That's where joy is found. But also as believers, we get kind of mutual joy when we see God working in other people's lives and we find them finding joy in God. Does that make sense? 
Like just as a quick example, how many of you, when you're, when you're a family member, excuse me, or a friend turns to Christ or they begin to grow deeper in their love for Jesus, that brings joy to you. So that's what John's saying. He's saying, man, our joy as a community grows. It's made complete in Jesus. He says, I'm writing these truths to you. I want you to wrestle with these truths for your joy, for, for our joy. Think about that. He's saying your joy is literally, specifically, can, can rise based on you reading and studying this book. And not just First John, the whole Bible. That's pretty cool. <laughs> There's joy in that. Not just happiness, joy. I, I want to unpack a, a second the, the idea of, of joy versus happiness. Um, we've got some pictures on the screen we're going to put up. And this first one is... Um, and oak, I have no idea where this picture was taken, but it doesn't matter. Um, this is an oak tree and kind of a, it's a babyish oak tree. And it, while it's pretty, it's not super impressive, right? Like no one drives by that and is like, oh, would you look at that oak tree? Oh my goodness, right? Like that's, I'm assuming this picture was taken because they just planted it and they wanted to commemorate the occasion and be able to see how, how much it grew, but nothing special about that. Okay, we'll go to the next picture. Um, this is a, some, some marigolds. Am I saying that right? Marigold? Okay. I was like, oh no, I don't know about flowers. Am I pronouncing it right? But, uh, marigolds. And th- they are, they're beautiful, right? Those are, those are stunning. I feel like if I'm driving down the street and I see that last picture of that live oak that we just saw and I see these, what I'm going to tell Lauren about when I get home is these, right? This is more, oh man, it's beautiful. It's eye-catching. It's more exciting. Let's go to the next picture. Ew. <laughs> So these are marigolds after they begin to wilt. Marigolds are, they're annual, so they're only for a season. They, they're beautiful, they have a lot of pop, but then they die. And they don't come back. So if you don't like to do a lot of work in your yard, don't plant these. <laughs> because they're beautiful for a little bit, and then they die, and that's it. We'll go to the next picture. This is a picture of, I'm assuming a different live oak, actually for sure, because there's no house there. <laughs> but this is a picture of a live oak many, many years later. That's a pretty tree, isn't it? Happiness is like the marigold. Joy is like the, the oak tree, right? Happiness is flashy and it's exciting. It's just an emotion that fades. Nothing wrong with it. Everybody likes to be happy, right? Like, that's a good thing. But over and over again in scripture, we see joy is more important to the Christian life. And joy, while may not flash you all of a sudden, it's lasting, it's abiding, it lasts through the difficult seasons, the dry seasons. Some of the oak trees, even right now you drive around Lubbock, a lot of them have lost their leaves and they're, they're, they're not, really pretty right now. It's just a bunch of limbs, right? What's going to happen in a few months? It's going to come back. It's beautiful. See, joy is like that. God is reminding us this morning as he says, our joy may be complete as we study 1 John, that if you're just chasing after happiness, man, that's, that's, good luck with that. That's going to come and go. If you're chasing after deep, abiding, rooted joy, What's he saying? Drum roll, please. Uh, He's saying, read your Bible. 
man, I just need some joy in my life. So you know what? I'm gonna, I'm thinking about changing careers. I'm gonna find a new relationship. Or maybe I just need to get a new, the new, the new iPhone that has the cinema mode. It's so sick, right? Like, that's just happiness. Comes and goes. You want joy? You find it in Jesus. And where do you dig into Jesus? You read your Bible. How many of us would say, man, it's been, it's been rough. Like my circumstances aren't that bad, but man, like I just don't have much joy in my life. Is reading your Bible always exciting and fun and like, oh my goodness, I can't wait to tell you all that God has taught me. Is it always like that? No. If you, if it is for you, please tell me what you're doing. Like I don't, no. But it creates lasting Joy. I was talking with uh, a counselor friend recently and she, she was saying they've been married, I think like 25, 30 years. And she was like, you know, there's not many butterflies left. She's like, when talking about her and her husband, she's like, when, when we hold hands, there's not this. <gasps> but she said, man, we love each other more than ever. It's another picture of joy in your walk with God that he wants to accomplish through the study of his word is not just these butterfly feelings but deep, lasting joy. God cares about your joy. One of the ways that God accomplishes our joy with, with, or uh, brings completion to our joy and grows our joy through the study of 1 John is something he actually mentions later, a purpose he mentions later in the book. We're going to close with this. If you would turn to uh, chapter 5 of 1 John. <clears throat> And we're going to actually uh, look at verse, uh, start in verse 11, chapter five. And close with this, with this truth here in a second. He says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. The one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Read verse 13 one more time. I have written these things to you so, excuse me, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So going back to, again, our original question, why did God give John, 1 John to write? because of this. Here's our fourth point for the day. We'll finish here. God desires for you to be confident of your salvation. He desires for you to be confident of your salvation. That's why he says, I've written it so you may know that you have eternal life. God is not into confusing you. That's what Satan does. God wants to bring you clarity. That's his heart's desire, to bring you clarity, not to stress you out about, am I really saved? Like God finds no pleasure in you stressing over your salvation. He really doesn't. It's interesting, we're gonna, I don't wanna give all the content because then we would just not need a series. But um, Throughout the book of 1 John, he gives really kind of three, you could summarize them, three big um, tests, if you will, that you can use to examine, do I really know Christ? And he looks at really, your life, so are you walking in darkness or in light? He looks at your love. Do you have a love for believers? Or are you just like, forget them, I'll do it on my own. And 
your confession? Have you confessed Christ? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? And he, he give, gives us those tests of your life, your love, your confession, not to stress you out and like, oh man, am I perfectly walking in the light? And oh man, do I love everybody? Oh my goodness. Not to stress you out, but to bless you. To be able to look at those things as evidences, not causes, but the effects as evidences of, has Christ saved you? Do you know Christ? Do you see the fruit? Do you see the life change in your life? You know, I love that he, I, I, I love that this verse is in the Bible because it tells us that it's normal for us to doubt at different points in our life. I'll track him with that. But by, by the fact that he's saying, I, have, I want you to know that would imply that apparently some of them were doubting. And God says, hey, I see that. I want to help you. We're going to doubt. I, I always get frustrated. I hear it less and less, but I get frustrated. I think growing up, like we go to youth camp or something and the, and the like, evangelist speaker would say, do you know that you know that you know? And if there is 0.001% you don't know, then you're not saved. And like, I, really? Like, I, I know that I know that I know, but I don't know a believer that hasn't at some point wrestled with their faith. Y'all with me? So don't, don't like jump off the deep end thinking you're some terrible person if that one day you're like, man, am I, am I saved? Like, that's normal. But what he's saying here is God doesn't delight in you stressing over that. He wants you to be able to examine your life, your love, your confession, and say, man, do I know Christ? And then rejoice in it. It's to be a blessing. I remember this is gonna sound ridiculous, but you're used to that by now. Um, I remember, uh, I don't think I've ever shared this or said this in here, but I remember growing up and I was saved when I was 11. Um, and I remember shortly after that, really kind of struggling if that I really mean it, that I really place my faith and trust in Jesus. And so no lie, uh, <laughs> my dad was a pastor at our small church and I, I, I could, uh, so I would go in and I cleaned our church gym. I got like little, like 30 bucks for, for cleaning the gym. Um, and sometimes I'd go in there after cleaning it, I would, I would, uh, shoot some basketball, shoot some hoops. And there was a stint there after God saved me at 11 years old where I, when I was doubting that I would, <laughs> I would, before I would shoot, say, all right, God, if, if I'm really saved, <laughs> make it go in. And if you've ever seen me play basketball, you know that was not good for my assurance in Christ. <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> it was it was bad. <laughs> and uh, as I was studying this, I was kind of, uh, I haven't been in, like a, in a season of doubt recently, though I've been in plenty before. As I was studying this, I thought the Lord brought that silly but true memory to mind. It's just a way of, and I thought he was kind of saying, Brandon, like, I didn't find any delight. Like, I wasn't trying to torment with you with whether you knew me or not. Like, my desire is that you stand firm and confident and know that you're saved by grace through faith. He's not playing games with you and, try, and trying to trick you. And either you trusted Christ and that bears out in the way you live your life, not perfectly. He says in chapter one, we're, we're all gonna sin. And when we do, we have an advocate who defends us, who paid the price for our sin. His name is Jesus. But, but does my life bear out that I, I, that I love Jesus, that I love 
people and have I confessed Jesus as Lord? And, and if I've done that, he says, I love verse 12 and 13. He says, if you have, Jesus, you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son of God, you don't have life. And he says, I've written these things to you who believe. So ultimately, if you've believed in Jesus, then you can know you are saved. Amen? You can know that you know that you know that you know. Even when you don't feel it, even when that, that doubt is creeping in your mind, you can know that you're saved. Because ultimately, your salvation doesn't rest on how good you are at all. It rests on the finished work of Jesus. It rests in the nail-scarred hands of Christ who bled and died on your behalf. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood, amen? My salvation is as secure as I rest in the hands of Jesus. And he has capable hands. He's got the whole world, right? I'm gonna ask the worship team to come on up. We're gonna have a quick time of response, but do you, I wanna ask you something. Do you see, so last year we went through all the books of the Bible, or pretty much all the books, we doubled up on a few. And Man, here at South Coast, we have kind of, a, I think you could even say a legacy that Pastor David has created of going through books of the Bible, right? So we did um, Colossians uh, last, like almost two years ago now, <laughs> before the book, and now we're gonna be in 1 John. Do you see no matter what book we're in, there's a reoccurring theme, and that is this, that no doubt, regardless of your doubt, no doubt, God is a good, loving, faithful benevolent, caring God. No doubt about it. That's who he is. That's why he says, how long to bring you into fellowship, community, relationship with me. I want you to know that your faith is more than a feeling because your feelings are fickle, but I want you to know your faith is more than a feeling. That's why he says, I care about your joy. I care about you finding your greatest pleasure and purpose in me because you're never going to reach the ultimate climax of your joy in anything but me is what God says. And he's so good and loving. He says, hey, I, I'm not, I don't want you to stress and worry and agonize over your salvation. I'm gonna give you some ways that we're gonna see in First John to, to rest assured and, and, and know as you keep your eyes on Jesus to know that you are saved and that your eternity with me in heaven is secured. God is good, y'all. He's good. If you're a believer this morning, I'm gonna ask you just to, I think the response this morning really is just to, to remember and revel in God's goodness towards you. Thank him for the blood that your salvation is secured by the precious blood of Christ, not by your effort. And if you don't know Christ this morning, the, the call is what I showed from the text earlier to, to recognize that Christ's arms are wide open. He longs to bring you into his family. I'm gonna pray in just a minute. And when, I, when I'm done praying, there's gonna be some folks down front that as we sing this song, we'd love to talk with you, love to pray with you about what God may be doing in your life. It could be all over the board. Maybe it's something I didn't even bring up this morning. They'd love to talk with you and pray with you about it. And if you don't need, feel the need to come and pray or ask for prayer or anything, we're just gonna stand in a moment and just thank Jesus for the gift of his blood. Let me pray for us and then we will respond. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of 1 John, God, that you, you care about our joy. And from study, we're gonna find. God, I pray that you would give us boldness to respond to hear your voice and just to, to revel in your goodness towards us. And God, that people would have soft hearts if they don't know you, they would draw them to yourself in salvation. 
Lord, help us to respond now as we sing this song. So we pray, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 